Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, before we get to this week's episode of Positively Trek, I'd like to take a moment to give a special thanks and shout out to some of our Patreon supporters. It is you who makes it possible for us to bring you this show each week. So, thank you so much to Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, and Paul D. Kinnear. To become a Patreon supporter of Positively Trek, simply go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can join at any level, which will give give you early access to some episodes and access to other features including associate producer credits and shout outs. Thank you so much to those of you who have already pledged to help out the show and to everyone else thank you so much for listening. And now let's get on with the show. Draw lunch room Mr. Spark. Here. Look what I brought you. This is my friend Ditan. He's very curious about Vulcan. Hello Ditan. Where did you get this? This is very old. Well, they read to us from it at the meetings. It tells the story of the Vulcan separation. So, Dan, I'm really excited about today's episode because we're going to talk to Una McCormick. And I haven't talked to her since last episode. It's just been too long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, okay, so I, I got up this morning to record these episodes and... I honestly thought like, oh, I'm really looking forward to the conversation with Una McCormick. That'll be great. Uh, This first episode, yeah, I I came up with some idea to talk about Star Trek pets. It'll be a fun discussion, (laughs) I guess. And then we have the most amazing episode, No Aberback Cats, and Una McCormick (laughs) joins us as well for that one. That was incredible. So this this day has been amazing already. And we're still not to what I thought was going to be my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it just goes downhill now. Yeah. Be, be rubbish <laughs> no. now. Just to real, you're like, oh, that would that was nearly a perfect birthday. <laughs> oh no, not at all. I'm so oh so excited. Well, yeah, and even Noah said that he has read the autobiography of Mr. Spock, which we're going to talk about on today's yeah, yeah, show. So, yeah, so it's people uh, are reading. People mm-hmm. are reading it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think most people are liking it. I think if you don't like Discovery, you're not going to like it. And there's so much I can do about that. So, you know, there you go. But, you know, people don't have to like Discovery. They, uh, you know, they just, so they don't leave a review on Amazon. <laughs> so this tells me that you have probably read some reviews of people who don't watch Discovery that, I don't know, maybe they were a little disappointed, but I was uh, surprisingly very happy to see how much of Discovery, and even not even that, but Picard, mm-hmm. that you worked into this. So what were the challenges of that while there's this ongoing series coming out as you're Crikey. writing? Crikey. Well, okay. So obviously we've got original series, 
we've got the movies, we've got the reboot movies, we've got the animated series, because my goodness, we get young, that young Spock episode in, yeah? Then we've got Disco, then we connect it up to Picard, and then we do our best not to do anything that will spoil, uh, that will that will disagree with Strange New Worlds. Worlds. So, I mean, that's, I'm losing fingers now, I'm running out of fingers. So we had all of these kind of different uh, things that we wanted to nod to or make consistent or, or feel like we had brought in or covered in some way. Uh, and I will be the first to say that it was bloody complicated. <laughs> <laughs> not the easiest task I've set myself, but uh, you know I've, I cut my teeth on um, Tolkien fan fiction, so you know drawing drawing large long timelines is kind of comes in the nature. And when you when you've read Lord of the Rings and kind of you know you, you've read Tolkien's timelines at the back where he's he's going through what's happening on every day in March 3019, <laughs> <laughs> you kind of think okay, well that's the sort of meticulous detail I need to uh, bring to it. And then if all else failed. I had Dayton Ward and John Van Sitters to say, aha, you have forgotten this, this tiny but absolutely crucial fact uh, and uh, can we fix that, please? So we worked really, really, it, 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 was, it was really quite tricky. I think particularly with the disco stuff, we were starting to, um, you know, it was, it, was, it, was, it was making things quite tight. Yeah, you, you were kind of going, oh, does this, do the ages quite fit? And I think we, I think we did get them to work. I think there's sufficient leeway in kind of dates of birth and that kind of thing that we we did get things to work. Uh, so fingers crossed, there's not any kind of blaring errors in it. Yeah. No, no, no I thought sure. it worked very well. I was very impressed. I, I was just like, wow, I can't believe how much you've worked in here. Yeah. And, you know, mm -hmm. even to the point that if someone hasn't watched Discovery, but they're a big fan of Spock's, I don't think they're going to get lost because we're just learning more about Spock's background that you don't need to know everything about Spock to appreciate this book. I hope, I hope you know, that's so. the point of an autobiography. Yeah. And we, yeah. we sort of, you know, the, we dip into bits of uh, beta canon here and there. I think there are uh, nods to sort of Diane Dwayne novels and Barbara Hamley novels and so on. Um, but obviously not, not taking them as something, you know, it's, it's what's on screen that we sort of take as, as fixed. Um, so hopefully there's sorts of lots of little Easter eggs, but yeah, I mean, if you don't know disco, you could hopefully read those chapters and they would just feel like a, like a compelling narrative. You know, we, we meet his, um, uh, Amanda's parents and that side of the family, which are pretty much my invention. And hopefully they feel kind of, um, uh, as real, uh, or the, or the people he's, you know, makes friends with at the academy, that kind of thing, um, at, at stuff at academy. They, they hopefully will feel as real. So if you don't know Disco, uh, I think the, hopefully the book is still worth reading. Yeah. So I'm glad you said they feel real. And I just want to mention to our listeners that we are getting into spoilers. So we're just going to assume you've read the book or you just you want to be spoiled. But I wanted to point out that I thought they did feel very real. And I wondered if you pulled a lot from the experiences you had with your grandparents or... <laughs> schoolmates or whatever if there were some stories that you brought into your life into this oh one. i i i basically didn't have any grandparents um my three of my grandparents had died um long before i was born and then my my surviving grandfather uh died when i was about eight so i i didn't have any grandparents um uh, there was a great aunt who kind of who kind of um uh figured um so uh i i think i've i think i've observed other people's grandparents uh, and thought, oh, what a marvellous idea <laughs> that is to have <laughs> right. in your life. 
uh, do you know, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> it's a fun, just a function of how my family went. My father was very old when he got married. Uh, um, so he was nearly 60 when I was born. And my mother was in her 40s uh, when I was born. So, you know, I just had elderly parents. They just, you know, they just didn't know <laughs> it alive. Um, so uh, so I've sort of observed other people. And I thought, oh, God, that would be marvellous, wouldn't it? Particularly once I had a little girl, uh, we, had a, we had a kid, and I was watching my friends kind of with small kids hand their kid over. So, God, grandparents would be a really wonderful idea at this point. Um, so I thought it'd be lovely to give him um, this sort of uh, unexpected gift of these two really really sorted and quite um laid back but and also very intellectual not not sort of sloppy not sloppy intellectually but laid back and kind of um generous intellectually um and and give give them give him give him those as a sort of um touchstone on earth um because he i felt he kind of deserved it <laughs> the, the low pressure <laughs> yeah, yeah? They're not boring, yeah. Yeah. but they're, they're, they're interesting in the right ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I really loved those characters, like the, the deep philosophical conversations they have into the evenings and stuff. I just, I could totally picture them. And then just the, the small revelation that the whole fascinating thing <laughs> comes from his cousin. I thought that was brilliant. That was I, his human cousin, I should say. Yeah, I thought that would be fun to sort of, you know, subvert expectation that maybe, you you know, because it's so associated with the eyebrow going up and you think, oh, that must be a Vulcan thing. No, no, no. It's his, uh, it's his um, Sherlock Holmes style cousin who's just interested, intensely interested in everything fascinating yeah and he kind of picks it up from him he, they both sort of adore him don't they and kind of follow him around and he's he's up for it you know because you know of course you're interested it's very interesting um so i had a lot of fun with that i thought it'd be fun to subvert that and make it a a, a, a inherited from his human side yeah it's it's funny because it, it does slot in really nicely with and, and you mentioned recently that you're doing a rewatch of enterprise and i remember that was one of the big criticisms of enterprises that the Vulcans that we see in the first few seasons, they're not interested in exploration. They're not, in, you know, they're very much insular and isolationist and that kind of thing. So, you know, that that's not the Spock we know who finds everything fascinating. Well, yeah, that comes from his, his unique heritage. I love that. And there's a, there's a really good thing in a, in a Diane, Tw I think, I think it's in a Diane Twain novel that, um, that most, uh, I think she suggests that, and, and this 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 is poor enterprise, I'm sure. Um, I'd have to check the dates. Um, she sort of runs with this idea that uh, most Vulcans just don't leave Vulcan. Yeah, they. Why would yeah. I want to leave Vulcan? Vulcan's obviously awesome, and you know the best place there is. But of those that go, uh, they 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 travel widely. They become intensely cosmopolitan, extremely well traveled, extremely knowledgeable. And I found that a really convincing sort of um, vision of what their society would be like, that most Vulcans don't leave, you know, and they're happy there. It's, you know, uh, it's stable, it's steady, it's uh, consistent. People aren't sort of bursting into tears every five minutes. But of the ones that leave, it's a, it's a particular kind of curiosity that, get, that gets, and they, they don't lose the bug, yeah. They, they keep sort of being outward facing. So I had that at the back of my mind as well. I found that very persuasive, I think. 
well, you know, 55 years of Spock, it's like you bring so much more to this. And Dan, what were you going to say? Because I, I just found it really interesting that we can learn some more about Spock. Even though we've read so many books, there's still more to dig in there. You know? mm-hmm. And especially the fact that it's, you know, ostensibly a firsthand account, right? It's from the man himself. And the format of this in, you know, it's it's different from the other three autobiographies we've gotten from Titan Books. This one is basically the manuscript that Spock dictates to Jean-Luc Picard for him to kind of decide how it should be published or what should be done with it. What made you decide to kind of go that route and and make it that kind of more personal memoir addressed to a particular person? Is it pronounced Tassan a lot? Uh, Tassan a lot, I think I would say, but um, my Vulcan accent is very poor. So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, I I think um, we wanted to, I I can't quite remember where the the idea came from. I think it was, uh, it was fairly honest sort of talking about the book, you know, kind of, um, I I think people like Dayton and uh, John Wood Sitters and, um, Kat Camacho, who's the editor at Titan, we kind of, you know, got together an email and sort of, okay, where where, where in his life is this going to be? And then, you know, we kind of made that decision. And then um, I think we all felt that it, it needed a specific audience. And I think partly that's, um, if you kind of compare it to the Janeway book, uh, that that felt to me, I've said this in other places, but that felt to me like a very public statement. Yeah. It's not like she's setting the record straight, but it's like she's she's sort of um, writing a memoir for a, for a, a public audience, yeah, people who were, had heard about Voyager and want to hear the truth. Whereas this seemed to me a more intimate and private memoir. Um, but but Spock is thinking, but I am a public figure, um, and I, I, there are certain things I need to get down, and I need to pass these on to someone that I trust intensely uh, to know what's the right thing to do. And that person, um, we all agreed, would be Picard. Um, that that just seemed the obvious choice. Um, so I, I think it suited the individuals, the characters concerned that Janeway would be mindful of her public and would want to sort of put put an account before them and um, be in charge of that account, not to tell lies, but to make sure that everything was clear. Yeah. Um, whereas Spock, I think, would be a little bit more um, not not discreet, but uh, it's a it's a little bit more introverted for want of for want of a better word. I think um, he would want to set an account down, um, addressed to a specific person, and then let that person judge. I think where it was, uh, what would be the best thing to do to present it in public. So I imagined it as a written manuscript, probably handwritten actually, um, but uh, but perhaps he perhaps he did sort of record um, bits of it. I, I didn't imagine it spoken. And then Jean-Luc gets a, Picard gets, I, I imagine him as sort of literary executor of Spock's estate. So the, the the book also talks about other papers that he's preparing for publication. I think there's like essays on Surak and, um, you know, translations of uh, Conan Doyle and Romulan poetry and that kind of thing. Um, so there's a big stack of things that he's working through. Uh, and I think he's got a, a Sarek's um, Sanalat as well. He's got Sarek's poetry, hasn't he? So um, there's lots of other stuff he's doing. Sorry, my throat's just, I'm just going to grab some water. So um, I'll stop rambling now. (laughs) No worries. No, I I did notice a lot of, um, of of course, your background is in sociology and uh, a lot of, I'm assuming, um, research methods and, and that sort of thing um, entwined with, with that part of your, of your career and stuff. 
And I, I did notice a lot of like the kind of that sort of research coming into this with the, the descriptions of, of the manuscripts and all this kind of stuff. And I, I thought that was really kind of fun. And it really builds out that world of like, yeah, these are characters that we see in TV shows and movies, but it feels like a real life. And they would have left this trove of, of things that a real researcher would have to sift through and kind of assemble and figure out. And I, I love that kind of real world connection there. Good. So I'm glad that works. So just up the road from here um, in Cambridge, we've got the, um, well, you imagine the kind of archives we've got here, but we've got, uh, um, uh, you know, Winston Churchill's papers and that, and like, can you imagine what that kind of archive would be like? And I imagine that Spock's archive would be, would be similar. This is, you know, um, almost 200 years of being a public figure as a first a, a Starfleet uh, captain and then, you know, as a, as, a, as a diplomat involved in major negotiations, you know, putting um, major treaties together. Uh, there would be a huge, uh, vast wealth of um, correspondence and um, uh, uh, papers written for internal discussion and, you know, letters to friends about um, trying to think things through and then, um, you know, um, uh, uh, his his uh, chess club notes and this sort of thing, yeah. <laughs> There'd just be tons and tons of stuff. And there's a little bit of it. I'm really, like I said, I'm a big fan of Tolkien. So a, li a little a bit of, you know, thinking of Christopher Tolkien plowing through his father's <laughs> his father's manuscripts and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I've not done much archival work, um, but the stuff I've done is is, it's fascinating, in fact. <laughs> so I, I like I'm feeling that word's going to come up a lot. Yeah, the eyebrows. Um, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think of Picard doing that. I think he'd enjoy it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's also illustrations in the book. I wasn't expecting to see that. Is Are we to assume that these are, are pictures and illustrations that were sent to Jean-Luc too, I guess? These are part of the archive, yeah. These will yeah. be part of the, the literary archive, yeah. There's um there's illustrations in the Janeway book as well. I think there are, I think there are illustrations in all of the um uh, autobiographies. Um Russell Walks has done the ones for my two books and, and we've had a uh, it, again lovely uh myself, Russell and, and Kat Camacho, just these emails going, uh, oh, which bit should we put in and what you know, and partly you're thinking what 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 do we really like, but what would people really love to see and really enjoy seeing? Um, and I think they're just, uh, I, I know sometimes, uh, you, often I'm partway through the book um, and some of the images arrive and it, and it can just put a spin on something that I'm telling because I, I, I don't have much kind of visual imagination. So to suddenly get these images um, can, is hugely helpful for me. Little chubby-faced baby spot. It's, it's adorable <laughs> in one of them. Absolutely gorgeous. And um, careful, careful. Uh, uh, if you look at them carefully, there's a there's there's one, a beautiful one of the sort of um, objects on his desk, and you've got his his mother's sort of um, pendant, and then there's a picture of his lovely pet <laughs> in the background. Oh, that's great! <laughs> the, just lovely stuff that we really hope people sort of you know you just look a bit closer and you'll see these. Um, that it'll be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so we all love it. We're all thinking really hard about what people will like and enjoy and you know uh, get from it. Well, the one thing I really do like is expanding on his family. We've we've seen so much in Star Trek and even books about Spock and his parents and that relationship. But, you know, a lot of authors and kind of stick a, stay away from Cybok, you know, from Star Trek V. And, and Michael's kind of a new early entry in the last few years. 
And, you know, we were talking about the grandparents and you start to realize he has an expanded family like most of us do. And, and we don't always acknowledge the fact that he can be influenced by so many different family members besides his parents. And so I really loved how you worked in Cybok and and then he's got his human sister and his stepbrother who's got emotions and he has to find his place in the in-between of that. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, that's the, the central thing. No, I wasn't going to pass up Cybok. I think it's a really, really interesting uh, character. I know it's I know it's how you never mentioned you had a brother. Oh, funny that. Um, but yeah, I just, I found it really, really interesting, fascinating. Um, and to have, yeah, this emotional Vulcan uh, older brother and this non-emotional human older sister and then Spock in the middle, like you say, trying to find this third way. And a lot of the book, I think, is about Spock trying to find a, a third way, um, you know, ag again, with sort of... Um, uh, trying to find a third way between uh, Vulcan and Romulus, I think. Okay, where can we, what path can we take that won't keep these old divisions going? Because that leads nowhere. And much of his life, he, he's sort of pondering that and trying to make it work and, and always alert to where people are crossing those boundaries. So I think Gabriel Burnham is an important figure here and uh, all sorts of different people. So he's always thinking about how to break those kind of divisions and and binaries down um and uh, I, I think gets there um gets her in the end gets there quite early actually it's just hard with um sarek around <laughs> yeah well one thing that i found really interesting with regards to the cyborg story was uh his his mother um sarek's first wife and this whole aspect of her kind of going off into the the retreat performing you know completing colonar and then this this kind of isolation of of being basically sealed into this cell in the mountains that was really and again yeah it's coming up a lot really fascinating aspect of the story <laughs> and i'm wondering what was kind of was there kind of an inspiration for that and and where where did that idea come from oh it's uh, it's sort of these medieval anchorites and anchoresses that would that would go off and um and they and they would sort of I, I don't know how much of it is apocryphal, but the but the idea would be that you would um, if you if you some um, sort of uh, medieval churches in uh, certainly in Britain and I presume in Europe as well have these little sort of um, uh, uh, buildings at the side with just this sort of little window in, and that's where the that's where the hermit was, and the idea is that they would be sealed away as a as a kind of um, to do to do the 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 praying and the meditating and uh, uh, be a be a sort of uh, pure space uh, on behalf of people who are still out in the world. Um, so it's quite a well documented thing, and there were there were various rituals associated with it. Sort of being a, you know, it, it, you would be considered dead. Um, they they were usually quite wealthy. It was it was usually a choice that a woman, or, or it might be a choice that a woman would make rather than um, marriage. Uh, or, or a kind of conventional um, uh, choice in a convent or nunnery, um, you would probably have to be quite wealthy because someone had to be paying for the upkeep. Um, so it was, a, it was a solution for your family if they had too many daughters. <laughs> um, but it struck me as a sort of facet. I think I think facet. It struck me as a, a really interesting thing to do. And I, I don't know to what extent you know our myths about them are true. I've not looked enough into kind of the literature about it. But I thought if anyone was absolutely going to commit to this and do it in the way that we kind of romanticise this or fantasise it, it would be a Vulcan adept. I mean, they would just seal the door and get on with it, you know, be like, oh, complete mind over any sensation. 
Um, yeah, so it's those medieval hermits, uh, sort of anchorites and anchoresses, um, these sort of um, uh, uh, religious orders that would seal themselves away. Uh, Trappist monks um, do this as well. They, they, they sort of take vows of silence. So I, I think they have more of a kind of community life. They do sort of uh, pray together and, and go to mass and church together, but 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 don't speak very much. And I, 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 that just came to mind for this figure. Um, I just wondered what that story was. And this sort of in, intense outburst of emotion uh, from Cybok, um, what was the dynamic of that? marriage um that uh that that this this boy came out the other end quite obviously quite damaged um so and and this just seemed right just seemed to work so um uh yeah she was an interesting character right um i think there's some beta canon that says she was a she was a vulcan princess or priestess or something so i just i kind of ran with that as well yeah you never expect it. Those bits were really easy to write. I mean, they were quite bleak. <laughs> I kind of went, oh, I just, oh, you know, you read this stuff years ago. And you, you never know when it's going to pop out. So all those hours spent reading about medieval anchorites kind of paid off. <laughs> <laughs> I think people call that research. <laughs> all I do is research Star Trek. I would do a terrible job with a Star Trek novel because I can't bring anything else into it. But yeah, I'm so glad you went to Cybok. I'll be honest with you, Una. If you didn't put anything Cybok in here, I'd say, why? Uh, like, come on, <laughs> you know, we need to just at least address it. And I yeah. love, I mean, it made it interesting. I mean, it, it just, it informs his life. Everybody who comes into his life has something to do with how he progresses through it, what he learns from them. And even just the teachings of Surak, I think, and we've you know read these things before and stuff, but the whole idea, and I like how you said that the logic without emotion was barren and meaningless. This is the things he learned that there is emotion in Surak's later teachings that are misunderstood. Mm, yeah, I t- I was, that was really good fun that, if, you know, if Surak had, had lived another 10 years, I think, um, I think you see this, uh, this is sort of the, the narrative that people talk about the, um, philosophy of Wittgenstein that he spends the sort of first half of his career writing in this very kind of uh dry analytic philosophy and then he, he does this this book called um oh, which one is it it's the tractate I can't remember it's sort of 30 years since I thought about that he kind of does this this book that kind of says that's all rubbish mm. <laughs> <laughs> here's what I think and then we get some more and it, it goes a little bit more kind of um not mystical, but a, a little bit more sort of um, associative, perhaps rather than analytic. So I imagine Sorak sort of treading this sort of very steady line of logical, rigorous philosophy, and then just sort of going, actually, that's dead end. We've got to think about it this way. But he doesn't. He doesn't write enough about it um, that that people people sort of see it as a kind of oh, had he gone a bit cranky at the end or something? Whereas in fact, he's kind of um, developing a new style of philosophy. Um, he's found meaning elsewhere so uh so that's sort of what i had in mind um yeah it was uh, uh all all these things that i all these things that i don't really know very much about <laughs> i kind of i kind of skim over and think oh i'll nick that for a star trek book one day <laughs> but it, it makes me look really brainy <laughs> <laughs> it does yeah don't give out the secret come on <laughs> i could nick that that'd be great <laughs> So that that's where that came from. There's a thing as well called late style that I got really interested in about um, sort of writers who who reach their eighties um, seem to acquire a new sort of um, style uh, in the in their art. You see it in, you see it in Beethoven, uh, and I think you see it in Le Guin as well. 
and there's a sort of uh, I think I think because historically not many people have lived to their 80s yeah uh, it, it's almost like we you know we talk about maybe three ages of man or whatever but this is a sort of extra stage where they it's like you, you suddenly see this burst of productivity and it's almost like people are going right okay I've not got long yeah <laughs> it's really 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 important that you listen to what I've picked up over the last 84 years because really time's running out and there's a lot up here and it's like they if you look at like the Gwyn's last five years it's incredible it's just an amount of stuff that comes out and you see that a lot there's a sort of um it's a beautiful style of uh, kind of depth of experience of time but at the same time a, a kind of sudden understanding of the importance of the moment uh and and, and that I think is kind of what I think of as late style and I imagine Surak getting there and this this book I think is meant to be Spock's uh sort of moment of late style uh, an awareness of all the time he's lived through and that the preciousness of these moments uh, that are present uh, uh so that that's sort of what I had in mind as well okay it sounds incredibly clever doesn't it I've read half of an introduction mm-hmm. of a book on this <laughs> 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 no, it, it that's that's excellent because you know what you're saying about that that late style that that's really putting into focus a lot of this book for me. It makes a lot of sense because you know as I'm reading it, you know there's there's the parts that take place during his time at the academy, and I'm picturing you know Zachary Quinto Spock and the Discovery era. I'm picturing Ethan Peck, but through it all is this Spock just before he goes and, and attempts the red matter mission and all that happens in the JJ Abrams stuff, this elderly Spock who, you know, he's Leonard Nimoy. He's that familiar Spock voice, but I always felt his portrayal of Spock in star Trek 2009. He has a lot more kind of lyrical quality to how he talks. It feels a little lighter so that makes a lot of sense to me that like yeah. he's he's got some humor in here. He's got some like knowing winks to to Picard, the reader of this. Like I, I love the Thank the you. Spock that you've given voice to here. It Thank really you very much. For me. Yeah, and lyrical is exactly sense that. What you're saying. that sort of um he's he's very funny by the end. Yeah. He's he's you know, and he, he finally relaxes and lets his intelligence mm-hmm. Let lets his wit uh, sort of come forward. Yeah. Oh, lovely. I'm really glad. I'm really glad that sort of comes through. Yeah. Um, it'd be nice to think Nimoy's voice sort of um, uh, comes through the book. It was something we're very conscious of, I think. But yeah, that that sort of late in your life, that that wisdom and um, uh, joyfulness, actually, I observe as well. Um, and then he's, he's kind of going around, now I'm going to do this crazy thing because, you know, why not? Why not? Time's short. It's worth it. Yep. yep. He's always there to save the, the universe. But now you touch on his time on the Enterprise, both under Pike and Kirk. And I also, of course, you know, number one's name is Una, <laughs> but you address the new last name. And I'm just curious, did you come up with the name and give the show that or the opposite? Uh, I didn't come up with that name. No, no, no. I, they they said, put this in. They'll love that. <laughs> <laughs> so that that Chin that's Riley. a little thing that we yeah. put in, yeah, yes, yeah, for for, yeah. for people to enjoy. So uh, I, it was it was tricky navigating strategy wells because obviously the book was going to come out long before you know we're we're, we're sort of seeing uh, seeing the show, 
Um, but we did want we did want it to feel like it inhabited that world, and that that was, I guess, a way of doing that. Um, so um, so yeah, it's a, it was a and, and people we thought people would be excited. So once they gave me that, they said put put this in, they'll love it. <laughs> See, I, the thing I love about reading these books is I keep thinking about you as I'm reading them. I know I think I think about Spock, too, of course, but I'm just thinking, like, how is Una going to address this? Because once we get to the <laughs> Pike years, I'm like, Strange New Worlds is coming soon. Yeah. That's going to open up a whole other thing that she won't know anything about, or yeah. even if they did tell her, she's not allowed to say anything about it. But it's like, how do you navigate that? And I love the fact that you just focus on the relationship mm. that he has with Pike. And not necessarily going through all the what adventures and what they went and did and and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, you know, of course, Talos Four and everything, but what he learns from Pike in Number One. Yeah. You know, and then how meaning his meaningful his relationship is with Kirk. Yeah, and then uh, and that's sort of a prototype. Um, I I sort of imagine them as a as a full, sort of first go round of um that 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 sort of functional family that he finds on the enterprise uh uh you know when we when we first meet spot spock in the 60s um so yeah i i, I mean you know we I, I there was there was nothing we could do about when the book was coming out and you know how strange you was coming out but yeah we could we could say well what was the meaning of this person in the whole of his life uh and then things like the short trek were a, were a real gift because you could kind of um you, you know there was a it's a teachable moment, I think they called it. You know, a, what, what are my impressions of Pike? People would want to know that. They would want to know what um, uh, what he'd learned from Pike, or, or what is what is at this stage of it in his life, um, what his uh, what he thought of this man uh, and the impact that the man had had. So those were stories that we could tell, I think, um, rather than, as you say, going through sort of adventures that you know haven't been screened. Um, or, or necessarily even scripted. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure, um, but uh, but yeah, we 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 tried our best. Um, but they're they're always going to be. There's plenty of other stuff to put in. <laughs> we went short of material. <laughs> yeah, I, I did enjoy how deftly some of that was handled, and how that's kind of mirrored with the stories of the five year mission as well, where you know. Spock knows his audience and he says, what hasn't been written about those five years? <laughs> you know, like, what can I possibly add? Like, this moment was meaningful. This moment was meaningful. Moving on kind of thing. Like, it's like, yeah, yeah that, that makes a lot of sense. Whereas, you know, the Voyager autobiography, I feel like the audience she was writing for would be eager for all of the Delta Quadrant stories you know, the audience Spock is writing for, they've heard all of these stories they want inside the head of, of Spock. They don't, you know, they don't need to be told about how um, Commodore, you know, so-and-so sacrificed himself to eliminate the doomsday machine. We know that story, you know, like, yes, yeah, exactly that. And it was, it was something we really had to think about that. That was something that I know um, uh, John Van Sitter said again and again, you don't, don't worry about that. You know, it it's what these people meant to him and his reflections on them. Uh, at this point in his life, that's really what this what this book is called. It, it is central to this book. Um, his thoughts about these people that he has known in this very long life, um, because yeah, you know, we all know those episodes. Yeah, <laughs> we all know those stories. So, uh, so I could sort of take a few risks there. I think maybe it was a little frustrating. I think uh, people hoped for uh, possibly some readers might have hoped for more, but. You know, we, this is this is the book that came out. So, uh, you know, just got to rob with your instincts, I think. I have to tell you, before I started reading the book, a friend of the show uh, 
mentioned to us that he had read the book and there wasn't much Kirk in there. Mm-hmm. And he was a little disappointed by that. Mm-hmm. And I went into that knowing it and I was like, well, you know, that's his feelings, but I know somebody else who this is like in his top 10 of all Star Trek novels and he's read like 400. So. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't miss it. You know, I, because there's, like you said, there's so much about Spock. I felt like it was so personal about his family and more of his childhood and growing up to become the man that he is. And like we said, there's already enough that the audience and Jean-Luc know about Kirk and Spock. But there was a line earlier in the book, and I don't remember what he was talking about, but it, it, it was something to do with the fact that it's sometimes harder to talk about those things that mean the most to you. Mm-hmm. And I almost felt like Spock thinks everything that needs to be said about his relationship with Kirk is known. But also because Kirk means so much to him, he doesn't really want to dwell on it too much because it's a lot for him. You know, it, yeah. there's a lot of feeling and pain there. Yeah. I, I, I mean, for me, um, uh, and, and I know, I know people where it, it's certainly, I know, I, you know, some people have said, oh, Kirk isn't in it. I feel Kirk's on every page. Yeah. The, the, the loss of Kirk is um, uh, the, the great, bereavement of his life it's like a, i mean it's a sort of widowhood it is a widowhood um yes. and it's it for me it's there on every page and the positioning of that chapter it's like i can't put this off any longer um you know i i've, I've not even been able to go and look at his grave i've sort of kept him in this shredding estate almost of um you know i um i think of him being alive when i thought he was dead and now i know he's dead i can sort of pretend he's still alive yeah that it's a mm. it's a almost a loss that that can't be you know for a man that that's um literate and that's intelligent to 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 struggle to find words to talk about this loss i i i felt my intention was was for that to for the for the silences to speak volumes that i that's I, what it worked it worked yeah. for me yeah. in that way um, yeah. and the positioning at, at the end it's like you know everything is sort of and and that where we where we leave them, which is the what what I hoped people would leave this book with, that image of the three of them as you know young men. I found it prof- I found it really moving to watch them. You know, go back and rewatch the original series and see how young they all were and how fit and how you know they're bounding around and you go, oh my god, these sort of you know they're so young and active. They're you know probably younger than I am now and this sort of thing. And then. I just wanted people to have that image of, you know, the 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 turbo lift doors or whatever it is, that you know, the doors closing on Kirk and Spock and McCoy and that the they're eternal. You know, it's like Robin Hood forever in the Greenwood or something, you know. <laughs> and that that's what you want to think of Kirk and Spock and McCoy being they're they're, they're always heading down to the bridge for the next, you know, the next adventure. And that's that's how Spock wants to remember Kirk. Um so uh, I'm getting a bit stiffly thinking about it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's the, it's the single most important relationship in his life, um, I, I think. Uh, and, and it's a huge loss to him that it, he dies that young. Um, and, to, and to McCoy as well. It's like, you know, they've lost their, lost their right arm or something. They've lost their mm. hearts. Yeah. And, and to echo what Bruce was saying as well, like that's, when I was reading it, 
that's how it felt was that like Spock was like approaching this, you know, point where he's going to talk about it. And then he's like, it's like touching a hot stove and he kind of pulls back and says, okay, well let, mm-hmm. let's, let's focus on something else right now. You know, he would never quite bring himself to really get deep into that subject until we get to that chapter where that's the closest mm-hmm. he kind of comes, but it still feels like, like you said, it's just this, like I think of when Sarek says my logic is uncertain where my son is concerned. Like this is where all of Spock's control and poise kind of starts to unravel a little bit. And mm-hmm. he's like, I can't really deal with this. And, you know, I don't know, still come across as, as coherent on this because it's just, it's too close, you know? And, and I think it's, I think it's a very, you know, ultimately, even though this is a, is a memoir, um, and, and one that he's giving to Picard for, for publication. This is a this is a private love and a private grief. Uh, and I think Parson is thinking, I don't actually owe anyone this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if if this is what remains, uh, you know, I'll say what I want and need to say, and, and people, you know, I, I can arrange this material uh, and uh, you know bring bring it all. You know, bring it all together on the the image of Kirk, and and people can sort of extrapolate from that. Um, but um, but that that was sort of the intent. Um, yeah, I'd, it was a really uh, uh, yeah, it was an interesting chapter to write. I wrote it um, I wrote it very quickly, but I I did write it. I I just I just put the words down, and um, uh, I I did write it last because it's so important. There's an, an excellent essay um, that I mentioned in the back um, by Erin Horakova. Um, called um, Kirk Drift, uh, and it, it's completely brilliant. It's published online in Strange Horizons. They have a, a regular column called Freshly Remembered, and they go back to pop uh, culture icons and go, well, actually, have you have you watched the episodes recently? Because everything you know about it is wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. she does this incredible job with Kirk. It's like, Poof, wow, yeah, of course. No, it's nothing like this. It's nothing like the guy and the... 2009 movie that's what popular memory has made it but the Kurt you see on screen in the 60s so I, I love him it's kind of uh, uh what seemed completely consistent to me was having Kirk and Spock's grandfather going hammer and tongs about Spinoza you know <laughs> it just yeah I'm here for this you know and, that was great yeah <laughs> yeah Spock's like I'm leaving this to the experts you know um that that seems a kind of Kirk that we don't see so often uh, and that would be the kind of the kind of Kirk that that Spock would have known mm-hmm. and loved. Yeah, yeah. The the Kirk who beat him regularly at chess in the early days and was a yeah. walking t- a stack of book with books with legs and yeah. officer and gentleman, right? Like that was yeah. Kirk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Survivor of a of a massacre um, mm-hmm. as well. All the all these things that we we forget about Kirk, I think. Um, and that that would be the man that he he served with. So. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to do something maybe a little different, um, but I, but I hope that his absence doesn't mean that. Um, I hope it's clear to people that it's a that's a, an absence of derived from deep feeling. Yeah, you know, it's one of those. Uh, uh, the less you say, the more it means. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. That's how it felt to me. Good, yeah, I'm glad. Absolutely. Good, thank you. Good, yeah. phew. <laughs> <laughs> Because if it did, I would call you on that too. Not just you would. You know, Cyborg, I'd, I'd have some kind of sneaky answer. <laughs> yeah, I'd come one up on the spot. Oh well, this is all intentional. <laughs> yes. 
That's why we call you doctor. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I want to talk about Savic and Valeris. I, you know, we've, we've gotten some backstories of them just from behind the scenes materials and things I've worked in novels and comics. So I was wondering where did you pull for some of their backstories and how much of that was your own creation? Yeah, I, I drew on some uh, Valeris stuff, the Hellguard stuff. Um, I, I can't remember where that, that is now. Is that in a Jean, is it a, a Jean Laura novel or a, uh, I, I can't remember now. I, don't, I, I should be able to remember these things, but I'm, I'm, I'm old remembering and tired. it from the Pandora Principle, yes. uh, Carolyn Close, but I can't remember if she got that from another place before that. Yeah, but. or if it's if it's hinted at in one of the scripts or something like that. So I, I thought this is a this is a really interesting figure, uh, and um, I know there was a, wasn't there an intention for her in one of the films to be pregnant with Spock's child. I thought, oh God, that's completely misread this relationship. That's not it at all. It's it's closer to father-daughter. Um well yeah, and yeah. I, I agree with that too, because we've had a book called Vulcan's Heart years ago that had them get married because there's a line in TNG with Sarek that says uh Picard was at his son's wedding. Yeah, yeah. And I just well I decided that was Cybok's wedding. I, I yeah. <laughs> who did who did Cybok marry? Uh, I don't know. This isn't Cybok's autobiography, is it? So, oh, okay. <laughs> I decided that wasn't relevant. So uh, yeah, I did. I, I I looked at that line. I thought, yeah, it's not Spock, is it? That's that's ridiculous. Uh, so um, um, so I decided not to. I decided I didn't have to uh, um, worry about that. Um, so I guess Sarvik Then I, I wanted to think of her as a. Um, uh, I, again, she's another figure that's uh, that's that's caught between a dual heritage. Uh, so I wanted her narrative to be a kind of resolution of that. Um, so I, there were two steps that I was kind of pleased with. This sort of um, Amanda wanted to brush in and kind of adopt her, um, and Spock going, "No, you can't fix the mistakes of Michael <laughs> with the, with this child. This yes. is a different child because mm. um, that would be quite tempting to do." And then I'm really pleased that I, I sent her off to join the co-op Milat. I think that was a really, I, I was really pleased with that resolution. I was going to mention, I love topic, that. Yeah. I love picturing. I can see her doing that. Yeah. It, and, and it would, it, it would allow her to be Romulan and not Romulan uh, in, in the way that Spock has been seeking to be Vulcan and not Vulcan. Um, you know, you, you can't deny that this is Romulan, but not as you know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing so uh so that was sort of my thinking with Sarvik and um and that she would be rock solid she would be a kind of uh you know his his almost his first student his first mentee uh, um and uh uh it's completely it's really rock solid and then Valeris perhaps would be the flip side of that maybe um Spock has become a little bit complacent um about what he can teach and um I found that scene in in six where he you know he mind melts. I found it incredibly uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's a it it's it it really uh, crosses a line to do with consent um, and um, you know uh, use of torture these sorts of things. It's a quite a complex and very un, uh, actually a, a deeply unspock like thing to do. Uh, and I, I would uh, I I thought that he really needed to reflect upon uh, that that he would regret it he would be he would think that was not a thing i should have done it was non-consensual it was it was you know it amounted to a, a 
uh, I mean, to torture. Um, and he would he would reflect on that and re and regret it. Um, but I liked the idea that Valeris was unrepentant. Uh, you know that she she felt she was justified, um, and 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 never really repented of it. Um, so uh, I I I think it's it it'd be very easy to have every every relationship in his life be completely successful, um, and everyone sort of to to be persuaded of his wisdom. Yeah. Um, but uh, some somebody has to not be. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And why should she be persuaded of his wisdom? He forcibly mind-melded with her. Yeah? Um, yeah. Why should she respect him? I think one of the most chilling moments reading this book was the moment where Spock is talking to Valeris after all of this. And Valeris has this almost kind of pride in Spock that he went that far and did that to her. And I was just like, Oh, the fact that someone whose logic led them to the conclusions and the actions that Valeris did would ap not approve of, but, you know, mm. see the wisdom in what Spock did to her is yeah, that yeah. was chilling. I was, Oh, yeah. this is a yeah. terrible even, person. Even you. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I've, I've persuaded of, um, you know, even you um, will do things um, out of necessity that are against mm -hmm. your, you, you claim are against your values. Um, so you, even you prove my point. Yeah, she's quite, quite unrepentant, I think. I'm yeah. surprised Section 31 don't recruit her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I want to touch a little on the 24th century, um, a little more on that uh, with, um, Pardek and Spock's unif reunification efforts and how he didn't really accomplish fully what he was trying to do and his whole relationship with the Romulans uh, and then his later relationship with his father, with Sarek. Yeah, talk a little bit about that. I, I just It really made me appreciate the older Spock and what he was dealing with at that time because what was going on in the galaxy. I tell you what, I got really into that stuff. Uh, I I would have happily given you a novel of of, of Spock's okay. ministry on Romulus. <laughs> I would have I would have just sat and, and did that one. I think I think I sort of um, I think I, I I think I've now sketched what I would have done in it. So I think you've got to, but I, I could have I could have done ninety thousand words on that quite happily. I thought it was profoundly interesting. Uh, that you know he just he just packs up and and goes on this fool's quest <laughs> and uh and and then you know galactic events just completely pull the rug out from under him you know um the, the star goes supernova so uh i i thought that was a really i i, I just got incredibly interested in that and particularly thinking about it in terms of the the, the sort of way that the romulan society has been set up in star trek picard this sort of um emphasis on secrecy uh, and uh, this, you know, secrets just uh, uh, underpin every aspect of life. The way they build their houses, or um, you know, the the theatre or the music, um, everything. Um, and to plonk him in the middle of that, and um, you know, see see how he would cope with that. Um, I just thought it'd be really interesting. <laughs> really enjoyed writing those bits. So uh, uh, yeah, I, I had a funny feeling you were because I remember reading it thinking. I feel like Una's enjoying this like she does when she writes about Cardassians and the union and everything. Yeah, there was, I, I, I think, I just, yeah, it's a, it was a different, I, I just loved the idea of him just sort of 
turning up with a with a suitcase, <laughs> kind of <laughs> setting up in some house and just sort of sitting on and going, "Hello, yep, Spock, yep." <laughs> Live long and prosper in the park. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. How are you today? And then, and that's basically right. his plan. That, that's his plan, and it kind of ripples. Uh, and I, I, I thought it'd be an incredibly interesting thing to it. So I might, I might do that with a different book. Um, and it goes back to the sort of um, monasticism uh, that you see in, uh, you know, his uh, sidebox mother, or um, you know, his his own experience of of, of, of trying to achieve Colinar, that uh, those, uh, you know, hours spent meditating and um, trying to efface his self and his emotion. He would he would have this sort of internal reserve depths of um, uh, reserves of sort of uh, strength and um, uh, just ability to be patient and um, uh, be very focused on a particular person at any moment. And 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 I loved that. You know, it, it wasn't going to be kind of um, high level diplomacy. He tried that with Pardek, yeah, and and people just did the two. You know, <laughs> they're wrong with the diplomats. So they're going to do. They're going. They're telling you one thing. They're telling you know. They're telling themselves one thing, and their other hand the other thing. You know, they're lying to themselves. So that's no use. He's tried that, so he needs to try something um, incredibly radical, and that's just to sort of go out and sit on the street and talk to people. And then the Tashio there in 15 minutes is like, boy, hell no, we can't have this. <laughs> it's a terrible <laughs> yeah. idea. This is awful. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, and then, and 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 his and his defence is basically that the Coet Malats are entertained. Uh, and and go yeah you you kind of do what we're doing but you know we've got weapons <laughs> and the fact that he is Spock that you know they can they can't just they can't disappear him uh, they can't risk it they don't know what is they don't know what his sort of um, uh, communication lines back to uh, Starfleet Command are so uh, they they can't really risk it he's too too important so he's defend he's sort of protected by that and then more practically by the Coat Malat. Uh, kind of amused um but uh, but that's his plan basically yeah just gonna just gonna talk to people i found it really telling that the coat milat showed up because of course their whole obsession with lost causes <laughs> i was like <laughs> yeah. oh there's there's a little bit of subtext here i think <laughs> yeah 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 no, just crikey mate there's absolute candor and there's complete insanity you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, in a society so, where showing kindness is a subversive act, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, incredible yeah. to to read that this this outlandish thing that he's doing, which is to talk to people about what they're they're having for dinner that night. You know, like that's that's a yeah. sedition. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's no there's no secrecy and there's no uh, guile in in what he's offering because they don't they don't have anything that he wants. Uh, other than um, uh, knowledge of themselves, he just he just wants to learn who these people are and, and learn about them and um, and have a meeting of minds with them. That that's all he wants really. There's no there's no ulterior motive other than peace. Um, and uh, this just uh, I, I think I sort of I watched the end of that next gen uh, episode. There he is on kind of the streets of the Romulan capital. What exactly is the plan now, Spock? <laughs> mm. <laughs> You're there with, you know, your toothbrush and your your, your change of robes. <laughs> uh, what what happens now? You know, have you have you got a hotel? <laughs> These are always the things that go. You kind of watch that in this grand moment. You think, I know, but uh, whose house are you going to stay at? You know, uh, who's who's paying for this? 
uh, are you going to get a regular column in the paper? You know, uh, how you and all these things that sort of run through my mind, and this is kind of what I ended up with. So, uh, but really, I would have I would have happily written a, a, a book about this. I thought it was fa- fascinating. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, see that word's coming up. Yeah, put that on the list. This is a future book that you can do. I yeah. love the idea. You're here. So. Yeah, but you yeah, might you so might now, see that story in another form somewhere one day, perhaps. Yeah. Okay. It's oh, a very count on that. It's a very sort of Le Guin story, I think. Um, actually, the more the more I think, it's the kind of thing maybe Ursula Le Guin would put in her books. Um, that's probably where I bought it from. That kind of quiet revolutionary. A lot of her ecumen uh, guys in, in things like Left Hand of Darkness sort of rock up <laughs> quite cluelessly, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, events happen. <laughs> Well, especially with the payoff that we get really 900 years down the line where this all did spark what is eventually the the reunification. Like, like honestly, watching The Next Generation at the time when I watched it as a kid, I'm like, oh, that's a neat idea. Spock's trying to get the Romulans and Vulcans. Well, it'll never happen. Like, they'll never write that. But, oh, wow, what an interesting. And then now, you know, however many decades later we get in Star Trek Discovery, they are reunified. And I see those episodes in a totally different light now. And that would yeah. be a really cool story to tell from yeah, the beginning and, and he gets a little premonition of that doesn't he He gets that kind of after um that after shock right. the, uh, yeah he sort of sees this uh it, it, he, he has this sort of dream of a vision of um gabrielle doesn't he uh sort of um human woman you know on vulcan in a romulan gown and it's it's everything he'd sort of you know that kind of unification of, of three things there um, yeah, so he gets a little glimpse, and he 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 does he does think in in long time, in deep time. You know, his his sister's a millennium away, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so he will he will think that way. Yeah. So to end this book, because this is a wisdom book written to Jean Luc Picard, what did Picard learn from reading this from Spock? Oh, good, good, good question. Uh, I hope it. I hope it's sort of. Um, I think. I think Spock is sort of encouraging because Picard at this point is kind of. Um, it's sort of uh, between his resignation and you know the start of um, the first season of the show, Star Trek Picard. So he's kind of he's sort of um, sulking in his castle, isn't he? Um, so I hope that that Spock is. Uh, I think Spock says to him, you know, um, uh, uh, my my kind of goals were, you know, my my great project came to this sort of ignominious end but it's not the end um you know you 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 won't know that um for a long time um so so don't give up yeah um because you uh, i i guarantee you that you will decide to act again uh and and he's right so uh, and whether picard is able to hear that at the time or only realize later that maybe that was a pebble uh that sort of set that avalanche going um, that would be sort of what I think um, Picard would learn. That was a good question. I haven't thought about that before. <laughs> oh, wow. I asked actually a good question for once, Dan. <laughs> Sorry, I, I went to just say that your, you guys, your questions are always brilliant. They're always really fantastic. But uh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was, I was sorry. I was a bit sort of your supervisor. There. That was very good, very good question. <laughs> <laughs> Candidate to be. <laughs> there you go. Well, you made my day. There you go. <laughs> so, well, is there anything else you want to say about the book before we wrap up? Because I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed this. It, 
you know, I again, I feel like I know so much about Spock, but I still learn something new about him. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm I'm just really relieved about that because you know, I, I, the fear was that it was kind of you know people would think oh this is familiar ground. So to to sort of try and do we want to do something fresh. So uh, I'm glad it I'm glad it was. And the only thing I'd say is try the beans. <laughs> <laughs> I actually yeah. want to try that recipe. Yeah, you really yeah. must. Um, my my friend who um, came up with the recipe is a is a. Uh, um, he's a fantastic chef. He's had a Michelin star. It's, it's a gorgeous oh, wow. recipe. It's really, really delicious. So, so um, cook the beans and um, make yourself a mint julep and, and toast the enterprise. Definitely. <laughs> but it, it will be delicious. It will be. Yeah. It, you'll enjoy it. So eat the beans. Hashtag Spock's beans. <laughs> now, the mint julep is from the Star Trek cocktails book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? We said, let's yeah. put these in. And then uh, I think they said, oh, you know, there was a cocktails book. If we ask them nicely, they'll, uh, they'll let us reprint it. So uh, um, and unfortunately, they were up for it. So we just thought it'd be a bit of fun at the end. It's like what McCoy leaves him in his will. <laughs> <laughs> Eat great. some food and have a drink, which is very McCoy, isn't it? It's kind of like, you know, um, yeah. yeah, focus on the uh, uh, fellowship and those moments of, you know. So, uh, yeah, so um, so eat some beans and have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> That's the lesson for today. That's the lesson. Have some beans. <laughs> have a drink. Have a drink. <laughs> yes, let's do that. Let's do that. Well, I know that you're busy, so we don't want to keep you any longer because you've still got a lot of writing to do. I know you're working on some projects. So tell us what's coming down the pike. Well, no pun intended. Pike thing. <laughs> and uh, where can people find you online? Oh, well, find me uh, at Una McCormack uh, on Twitter uh, where I'm um, – being cross about things and watching I'm, I'm reading the expanse now uh, i'm not tweeting too much about the expanse because i feel it's really important that people don't get spoiled but i am i am tweeting sort of omgs a lot um and then coming down the pipeline we have uh, i've got a firefly novel coming out in november uh which uh, that's great that's like a tick on my wish list um so that's imminent um sort of um uh uh, publication um, problems in distribution in the publishing industry allowing um, but also I'm working on another Picard novel uh, about Rafi so uh, that that people should see next year um, and that I think is everything I can talk about <laughs> there's those cryptic Ooh. answers again <laughs> you're wondering love it I, I always love those cryptic answers because we know that whatever is coming is going to be amazing and wonderful it's it's when oh, the authors say oh there's nothing going on not doing anything that's when I get sad yeah. so we know there's something <laughs> yeah. well I'd, ne- I'd never say that I'd just go ah oh, who knows yeah, so I just, oh yeah yeah no don't, don't tell them that there's nothing <laughs> make people think you're busy <laughs> love it alright well Dan where can people find you on Line if they want to talk Star Trek. You can find me always on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S uh, on youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions and in the Positively Trek discussion group, which, uh, you know, comment on the thread for this novel. We're going to be having a great discussion there, I'm sure. So join us, please. Ooh, yes. And I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. Yeah. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Positively Trek. Send us an email. Positively Trek at gmail.com. And we have a Goodreads group, too. So we can discuss novels there if we want to do it there, if not in the Facebook group. But, you know, wherever. You know where you can find us. So... 
the autobiography of Mr. Spock, written by Spock, edited by Una McCormick. (laughs) (laughs) Buy it today if you haven't already. Check it out. And Una, thank you so much again for joining us. My absolute pleasure. It's always always great to talk to you guys. Always really, really good questions. I always really enjoyed talking to you. So thank you. Oh, thank Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's always great to have you on the show. It's always a fun discussion. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) So keep writing, and to everyone in you, Una, stay positive. (laughs) Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.